0: Good morning. Y'all may not know it's Raz's birthday today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the band and, and the folks that are doing audio and visual, um, everyone who's leading this morning, we were praying in the, in the room back over there, over this service. And um, as we were praying, I just saw a picture of, of the father delighting in Raz this morning for his birthday and uh, dancing over him with singing. You know, that's from Zephaniah. That's what the Bible says. It's the God is like a father who dances over us, and he delights in us by faith in Christ. And so he loves you, Raz. I just want you to know that. And he delights in your worship heart. And the fact of the matter is, even though that's specific to Raz, it's true of you too, by the way. The Father is in a good mood towards you this morning. Did you know that? That's why the gospel is such good news, is that we don't deserve for the Father to be in a good mood towards us because of our sin, but because Jesus has taken that on the cross for us And we get his righteousness, and he takes our sin and rebellion, and he's buried in the ground, and he's resurrected. And by faith in Christ, the Father says, This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I am well pleased. He doesn't say, My son or daughter in in whom I'm kind of frustrated with right now, right? (laughs) So I just feel like we need to hear that as a church family. The Father is in a good mood. And he delights in his kiddos. If you're watching online, we're glad that you're here. My name is Jamie Moore. I serve as uh, co-senior pastor here, and uh, we are starting a new series through the Book of Colossians. So if you would turn your Bibles to Colossians, chapter one, we're going to begin our series. And if you're you're online and you have questions, comments, or thoughts, just put those in the chat, and then I've got somebody online who's texting me those comments and questions. So we want to engage with you online, and then we're going to have a time, I just want to give everybody a heads up, Uh, we're going to have a time of discussion here in the room. So if you're online, you'll have a chance to discuss, and if you're here in the room, we're going to turn to our neighbors and discuss uh, some of the concepts that we're learning this morning, and then we'll have a chance um, to just hear from you. And then if you're online, if you'll put that in the chat, and then you'll have a chance to, to get that info to me as well. Uh, and then last bit of info, uh, we are celebrating Lord's Supper and communion at the end of the service. So if you're online you need to get some supplies, go ahead and do that. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8. Let me just read the text, and then we're going to go for it. Paul writes this, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, And of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these scriptures. I thank you for the fact that we can have your word in printed form in hundreds of translations at our in our palms we are so blessed so we thank you we thank you that you're the kind of god and father that wants to speak to his kids and so i ask now holy spirit that you would teach us you are the great teacher and guide and counselor and friend so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to give us wisdom, to give us revelation. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would challenge our hearts to submit to the very word of Jesus. And Jesus, you are our king. So we honor you. and We yield to you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. Outline of the message. We're going we're gonna to talk just briefly, introduce this series, why Colossians, why are we doing this? Second part, we're just going to walk verse by verse, right through verses one through eight, what I just read, and then the third part of the message, we're going to have a chance to do some group discussion, uh, discuss amongst yourselves, and then we're going to do a little microphone action and hear from you all, what are you hearing God say to you from the text that you can put into application this coming week? Okay, sound good? All right, that didn't sound very convincing. Does that sound good? Okay. All right, part one, why Colossians? Why Colossians? Well, we're wanting to flex a little bit of a different muscle in this series. So the series we just came out of was Astonished on the Attributes of God. And basically that series was kind of a systematic theology, Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, let's look at these massive attributes of God and, you know, let's go from Genesis to Revelation looking at this attribute. Uh, And so... That takes a very specific muscle to teach and to consider in that way. And now we're gonna go from the eternal view, massive 60 million foot view, (laughs) down to verse by verse through Colossians. So it's gonna feel very different. In fact, you see I'm sitting on a stool. It's gonna feel very different this series. Rather than thinking Genesis to Revelation, huge attributes of God, to go right down into here's a verse what's Paul saying in this verse, and just walk through it. So we're going to flex a little bit of a different muscle. The theme of this series, and really the book of Colossians, is you are captive to what you believe is true. So it begs the question of us, what is truth? So in Colossians 2, verse 8, Paul says, see to it. This is be vigilant, be on watch. He says, "See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, an empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ." So Paul is describing these philosophies, ideologies, worldviews that are actually uh, bringing captivity to people. He says. Be on watch, be on guard. Watch out for other philosophies, other truths that will actually enslave and bring captive. So what we believe brings a captivity to us. And of course, when you believe in Christ, it brings freedom. We're going to look at that. Another the relevancy of this is, I don't know if you've noticed, but our current culture believes that truth is, is, is not objective. But it's subjective. Have you all all noticed this? We're going to talk about that in a second. (laughs) That truth is actually not objective for all people at all times in every circumstance. But actually, it's kind of subjective and fluid, depending on the person. And I just want to say this. You know, in a series like this, it could be easy for us as a church family to use buzzwords about different ideologies that are in our culture right now. It'd be easy for us to be like, to use a buzzword. I'm not even going to use them. Because if we do, we kind of just go after some political ideology or some sort of thought that we've been hearing. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Because really, all that buzzword language is all can all be uh, brought down to this concept. It's called expressive individualism. So I don't even want to use buzzwords. I want to talk about what's the root of what's going on in our culture. Is that fair? Because as soon as you start using buzzwords, then people get all riled up and all that. So expressive individualism. I think this is what's going on. Um, And I'm not the only one uh, that says this. If you're interested in a book that will help you with this, uh, Mark Sayers has written a book called Disappearing Church. Mark Sayers, Disappearing Church, talks a lot about this. That'd be a very helpful resource for you if you're interested in in this kind of thinking. Mark Sayers uh, he's down in um, Australia, pastors of church in Australia. The book is called Disappearing Church. Anyway, the language of expressive individualism is this. You be you. (laughs) Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. My truth. You'll hear it in things like this. Someone will say, that's true for you, but not for me, Right? Have you ever heard any of these phrases? And so what happens in this culture that we're, we're swimming in this thing of expressive individualism, what happens is the highest good, the best thing, the, the greatest social ethic in our culture right now is for individual freedom, self-expression, self-definition, and self-happiness. That the highest good we could go after as a culture is everyone just, everyone just ex- express yourself, discover yourself, Define yourself, be happy. And what happens in that culture is that personal authenticity, me being true to myself, is praised. And external authority is rejected. Which is to say, if someone says to me that what I believe is wrong, that should be rejected because what I believe is right. Are y'all following what I'm saying? I'm just being true, authentic, I'm authentically this way, so you can't tell me that I'm actually wrong. That's the water we're swimming in. Are y'all hearing me? (laughs) So we want to look at this, and actually, the book of Colossians will help us look at this. Because truth is important, friends. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says things like, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free. So this series, we're just gonna be walking through Colossians, looking at this issue of expressive individualism, looking at what Paul is addressing in the Colossian church because it's a very interesting thing that he's looking at and addressing. And another thing, it's gonna be a little bit different in terms of communication. We're going to have eight other communi- at least eight other communicators up here. So sometimes it's going to be uh, Dennis and another communicator, me and someone else. But other than this week, and we may have a couple weeks later, there'll be one singular teacher. But for the most part, we're going to have two folks up here dialoguing, discussing, and walking through the text. Sound good? Okay, let's go then actually verse by verse. Part two, verse by verse through the text, beginning of verse one. There's a couple of questions that I'm I'm posing that are answered in the text. The first question is, who and where? Who and where? So it says, Paul, so obviously this is coming from Paul, the apostle himself, he's writing this, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy. So now we have two authors, right, you see that? So it's Paul, he's writing and Timothy. Timothy is his protege, Timothy is being discipled by Paul being taught what it is to be a leader in the kingdom of God. So Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. And verse 2 says, It's to the saints, the holy ones, and the faithful brothers. And that word is, is uh, gender inclusive. It's brothers and sisters. So it implies all of the guys and gals that he's writing to. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. So it's a, a city in modern Turkey. And this is a small agricultural village. At one time, it was pretty large. It was a larger city, but the population had shrunk down. At this time, when Paul is writing, it's it's like a small—I don't know, like like the village of Mariemont. It's like a small village. Y'all hear what I'm saying? It's like a small place with a lot of bigger cities all around. Obviously, Mariemont is not an ag- agricultural, although we have a garden. Hey, but uh, it is a small agricultural village that Paul and Timothy are writing to. So they're writing to this church, the church that meets in this village at Colossae. And it's interesting about this church, we find out later that it was actually planted by a man named Epaphras. Epaphras is a believer. He declared the good news, planted the gospel, planted this church in Colossae. And somehow Epaphras has come back to Paul. Paul is either imprisoned in Ephesus or in Rome. We're not really sure. It can kind of go either way. But we know he's in prison, and we know of at least three imprisonments of Paul uh, that we see in the book of Acts. We think it's either Ephesus or Rome. If it's Ephesus, it's pretty close to Colossae. But Epaphras has come back and has visited Paul in prison and has been sharing with Paul what's been going on at Colossae, at this little village. And he's been sharing and telling them, telling Paul what's been going on. And it's interesting, Paul doesn't know these people. It's important that you know that. Paul didn't plant this church there's no evidence that Paul knows any of these people other than Epaphras and what Epaphras has told him about this church. The letter is being sent by two men, Tychicus, which I love that name. That's such an awesome name. I think we should name our kids Tychicus, right? And Onesimus, who is the subject of the book of Philemon. He was a, he was a slave. He was a, he was a slave person And he was being set free, and Paul—and I don't need to get into that— but Tychicus and Onesimus are the ones who are sending this letter from Paul in prison back to Colossae. And it's interesting, we find out later in chapter 4 that Paul sends this letter, and Tychicus and Onesimus are supposed to read the letter out loud to the church, and then he says, and when you're done with the letter, go to Laodicea, so another church, city— and read this letter to them too and then the letter that I wrote to Laodicea make sure you get it and y'all read that one too so this letter is to to the Colossian church but it's also for the good of the Laodiceans now when I say Laodicea and y'all can talk out loud what is what are the one or two words that you think of when you hear Laodicea what are some words that come to your mind revelation lukewarm anything else The the springs of water, yeah, the aqueduct, yeah, 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 absolutely. So Laodicea, we know this is is the church in the book of Revelation that's written. So that's John writing to the church, actually Jesus through John writing to the church. And I realize it's different than the time period here. It's later than this. But when we hear Laodicea and Paul says, we're writing this letter and make sure you get it over there to the Laodiceans. It just got me thinking, Laodicea, what we know about them is that they were lukewarm. They were neither hot nor cold in their faith. What well, we know about the Colossians is that they are faithful. They are, this is a healthy, hopeful church. The Laodiceans, what we know about them is at some point, they become lukewarm, cold, they become blah in their relationship with God. Y'all hear me? They're like blah. So much so that Jesus is like, I want to spit you out. So hear me. That tells me that the word of God is profitable for all of us in all seasons of our walk Whether we are on fire for God Or whether we're feeling blah The answer to your blandness, If you're in it right now Is the Holy Spirit through the word of God Y'all hearing me this morning? <laughs> and the answer to you, You're on fire and you're experiencing Great revival in your life You know what the answer to that is? The Holy Spirit illumination through the word <laughs> Both It's good for us, it's healthy, it's profitable It's advantageous to us to be in the Word. So, let's see if there's anything else that we need to talk about. He says, grace and peace, which is a classic sort of letter format to you. He's saying grace to you and peace to you. Now, what's his concern? We're gonna find this out over the next couple of weeks, so I'm not gonna exhaust this, but Paul's concern here is false teaching. It's false teaching. There's been some teaching that's been coming into the Colossian church, And it's been basically adding on to Jesus. It's like, yeah, Jesus is awesome, but you might need some other things. So there's false teaching, philosophies, worldviews, and they're enslaving the Colossian church. And he sees that this church is healthy and hopeful and faithful and loving. And this false teaching is actually a danger to them. And so he's addressing that. And so what does he do? How, how does he go about doing this? Again, I'm doing this quick because we're gonna walk through each of these verses, but I just, from the outset, I want you to see, this is how Paul addresses false teaching. This is how he does it. He starts by naming it. Say, <laughs> so, hey, there's false teaching going on. And then the second move he does is he then exalts Jesus. It's important that you get this. Paul addresses, hey, there's false teaching, and it's interesting, rather than go point by point, this is why it's wrong, this is why it's wrong, this is what, which the teacher in me is like, yeah, just address all the points and get all the proofs out. <laughs> right? Just address it. Instead of doing that, what Paul does is he takes Jesus, and he's like, Jesus is awesome! That's what he does. <laughs> we see that later in this, in this chapter. He takes Jesus as says, Jesus is the supreme awesome one. So what Paul addresses false teaching by lifting up the true one. It's important that you see that. And I put on there, it's not enough to simply expose the counterfeit. Everyone knows this analogy. If you want to identify a counterfeit dollar, let's say a $20 bill. Y'all, y'all have heard this. If you want to identify a counterfeit $20 bill, what do you do? Study the real one. You get so used to looking at the real thing I mean, you just study, Look, look, look. Gaze upon all of the sides, all the edges. Look at the, look at the font. Look at the way it's written. Look at that weird little foil thing that's on the side. You know what I'm talking about. Gaze on it. And then when the false thing comes, you're like, ah, no, I ain't doing that because I've been looking at the— So that's what he does. This book is about the supremacy of Jesus over all things, that he is the glorious one. So he's addressing false teaching— He's uplifting the gloriousness of Jesus. And then thirdly, once that happens, then he says, because he's the glorious one, live this way. You see, our behavior in the kingdom will not ultimately change by being told to change. Did you know that? Your behavior won't change if someone tells you to change. It doesn't work that way because we're stubborn. (laughs) You know how your behavior changes according to the word? It changes when I see Jesus in all of his glory and then I go, he's awesome, I want to be like him. And so then I change my behavior to be like him. It's when our heart is captured by this glorious, supreme, sufficient one and then we begin to walk like him. That's what Paul's going after in this text or in this book, that's how he does it. Okay, let's keep going, verse three what's Paul's mood what's Paul's mood because I was just thinking to myself if I'm in prison I'm already in a bad mood right <laughs> I'm already feeling a little come on God I'm trying to plant church I'm just trying to do kingdom further, I got a Epaphras coming, and he's like, this church is so awesome. They're really young. They're growing. It's so awesome. They're hopeful. They're healthy. They're faithful. They're loving the saints. It's an amazing church. There's also this really jacked up stuff that's starting to be taught, and people are starting to turn away. So I'm just thinking, in Paul's mood, I'm in prison. I'm kind of, and now I'm gonna write a scathing letter <laughs> to these people. Like, seriously, it's gonna be pretty intense. It's gonna be pretty like this. But look at what Paul says, verse three. It says, "We," so now he's, it's him and Timothy, at the very least, so it's corporate prayer. He says, "We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you." It's interesting. Paul says, "When I'm praying for you, I'm always giving thanks for you," which is an interesting way to think about, I'm in prison. And they got serious issues. My prayers, I would think, my prayers would be about, God, get them, get the false teachers, right? (laughs) There's probably a little bit of intensity. I'm like, I got to intercede. I got to get in the closet. I got (laughs) to... There's demonic stuff. I can't, we got to (laughs) protect. And Paul's like, I always thank God for you. (laughs) Paul's mood is Thankful. Even though there's serious stuff happening, he's thankful. I was just challenged by this personally. One of my spiritual gifts is, is in the area of discernment. And I, I can very quickly discern whether something is spiritually healthy or spiritually sick. Uh, and not to make any of you nervous, but like if you come and talk to me, I will be very easy to tell if this is a spiritual issue or if this is just a natural. I, I, I've just been gifted in this way. I don't always know what the answer is to solve that, which is why we need community with our spiritual gifts. I don't have all the gifts. I need other people to help me. The shadow side of discernment is judgmentalness and accusation. Like it's easy to slip from, I can tell something's not right, to, y'all ain't right. You know what I'm talking about? Ugh. <laughs> You don't even love him, right? Like you can tell something's wrong and then it slips into accusation. And that's happened in my life regularly. It's happened with regard to churches. Like I'll look at a church, a church that I'm serving, I'm supposed to be loving as the under shepherd, right? And rather than be thankful, I'm accusatory and judgmental and critical. And that's not right, it's not holy. It's not the way Jesus is. So just as an encouragement to you, listen, the body of Christ, we have failed in many ways. But we are the bride of Jesus, the Bible says. And when I or anyone else looks at a church and is like, y'all are sorry. We're talking about Jesus' fiance. Are y'all hearing me this morning? He loves the church. If she got some issues? Yes. But he loves her. And we as family need to avoid the critical judgmental accusatory and give thanks for the fact that we are growing into Christlikeness. It may not be as fast as we want it, It may not be happening at all in our minds, but to be thankful. To be thankful. What's his mood? (laughs) He's thankful. (laughs) Another application would be if you've got some people in your life that you feel accusatory towards, I don't know, like a spouse, kids, someone you're in relationship with, when you pray and think about them, give thanks first. Bless first. Ask for the favor of God first before. God, you know how they're not following you. You know how they hurt me, you know the martyr thing or like Aah. Give thanks first. Bless first. And and for some of us, when we're critical of someone, we're not even praying for them anyway. (laughs) So start with that, and then give thanks when we pray. (laughs) It's hard to hate someone you're praying for. It's hard to accuse someone that you are praying for blessing and favor over their life. So Paul's mood is thankfulness. There's another reason he's really thankful. It's found in verses 4 and 5. He's thankful for them. And he he says it here, verse four, he says, since, so we always thank God, since. That conjunction is a really important word. Since, I'm always thanking God when we pray for you. Since, so it could be causal or temporal, this word. It could be since, he's saying, we always thank because of your faithfulness, your love, and your hope. So it's causal. Because we've heard these things, we are always thanking God for you. It could also be temporal, which he's saying, ever since I heard about you, I've been thanking you and praying for you. So it could be both. And actually, grammatically, we don't actually know. So I'm gonna say it's both, right? Because it can actually go either way grammatically in in the Greek. So the ground of his prayer of thanksgiving for them is because of their faith, hope, and love. And ever since he heard, he's been praying for them. It's temporal, causal and temporal here in the text. So he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So faith, love, hope. Now we've heard this in 1 Corinthians when he writes to the Corinthian church, faith, hope, and love. Puts them in a different order. He says, the faith that you have in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all the saints, and then there's a causal because of the hope that's been laid up for you in heaven. So faith, their faithfulness to God, their upward, you know, we talk about up in and out around here, their upward relationship with God, their faith, their trust, their, their allegiance to God, their love for all the saints, that sense of fellowship, koinonia, serving one another, agape, sacrificial love towards one another. And he grounds this faith and this love, which he's being thankful for, he grounds both of those things in their hope. The reason they have faith And the reason they have love is because they have hope that has been reserved for them in heaven. That is the language that he's using. He says, because of the hope, verse 5, because of, I've heard about your faith, I've heard about your love, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That eternal point of view, knowing that there is a time coming where all will be made right. There's hope. That ground of their faith and love is in hope. So, they're a healthy, hopeful, faithful, loving, growing church. And false teaching is coming for them to destroy that. Now, you may say, Jamie, that sounds great. Where does the hope come from? It's in verse 5. Look at the text. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this, so he's talking about the hope, he says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth everyone say the truth the word of (laughs) the the texan the truth hope comes from truth did you see it so faith and love come from hope this hope is this has come as they heard the truth hope is found in truth not in lies Okay, so what's the truth? The way he defines it. You heard before in the word of the truth, which is the gospel, the end of verse 5. The gospel is the truth. It is the revelation of God to his people. It is the truth of God. So what is the gospel? He shows us. Verse 5. The truth, the gospel. The truth, the gospel. Have you ever tried to just define the gospel? Like, what is it? Anybody? I heard some good news. Okay, what else? It's kind of a big deal because apparently, to Paul, it's the truth, (laughs) and it is the thing by which people see hope, faith, and love. So, what's the gospel? The glory of God, God sent his son, Jesus. Salvation through Christ. Mm -hmm. I want to press the point to our context. Every philosophy, every ideology, every worldview is always, all of them are trying to solve for redemption. So, all worldviews, all ideologies, all philosophies are trying to answer the question. How do we, whether they use this language or not, they're, they're trying to solve for redemption, making things right. They might use the language of utopia. They might use the language of when we're all living in harmony, the greater good, all of this language. These philosophies are trying to find out. They want good news. So, but the way they get there is not through Jesus. Y'all hear me? So what was happening in, in, Col- in Colossae is that they were believing in Jesus and then they were adding, so it was Jesus plus Washings. It was Jesus plus worshiping angels. Jesus plus other things. And Paul is saying, no, the good news, the truth is just Jesus. The fact that Jesus lived, died, was buried, and was resurrected for you and for me. In our place, as our substitute for our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That his righteousness is given to us. Our sin is put on him at the cross, buried, and left in the ground. And now we have relationship, not as enemies of God, but as children of God. It's that good news he says that's the truth the truth brings hope hope brings faith and love so in our context the greater good is discovering your identity in and of yourself isn't it right now expressive individualism says the gospel good news is if I can just discover who my true self is then all will be well I just need to be authentic to who I am once I figure that out Good news, I'm, I'm done, it's good, all, all good. And usually that means what? I'm a really good person, I haven't killed anybody today, I'm probably going to heaven or wherever when I die, right? Or, it's a, it's, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna do education, I'm, I'm gonna be around the right people, I'm gonna start to behave in a way to earn my way into, I'm the good person. The reason that is counter to the gospel is because the gospel says this, Paul talks about identity. He says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, (laughs) Christ died for us. So our true authentic self is sinners, not good. Are y'all hearing me this morning? So in our culture, I just need to find myself, which is good. Once I get down to who I am, it'll be good. The gospel actually says, actually, you're not good. And then Paul says that this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. It is true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Let me just tell you something about individualism and expressiveness. When you actually get to the place where you realize, I'm actually jacked up and I need Jesus to save me, that's when you actually get greater good. Y'all hear me? It's not digging down to figure out who my true self is. It's good in there somewhere. Actually, no, it's not. I need need what I am to be exchanged for Jesus' righteousness. me just knowing my truth doesn't help because my truth is I'm a sinner (laughs) I need it exchanged so let's put it into a a picture Jesus told a story about a wealthy businessman and he had two sons one of the sons said to the wealthy businessman what did he say he said I wish you were dead I want my inheritance I'm going to go be me I want to do what I want to do right I want what's owed me and I'm going to live for me. Like whatever I want to do, I'm gonna do. Whatever I want to eat, I'm gonna eat. Whatever I want to, whoever I wanna love, I'm gonna love. Whatever I think is right in the moment, I'm going to do it. It was classic expressive individualism. Whatever I want, I'm gonna go do. And he goes off to a far country and he does that. And at the end of that, he realizes that doesn't work, right? He finds his face in a pig trough, out of money, broken, hurting, dying facing a pig trough, and he goes, wait a second. I should go back to my father. (laughs) Because me just going after what feels right inside doesn't work. So I'm going to go after my father. And he comes back, and the father is waiting, isn't he? (laughs) And he runs to him and embraces him. This is the good news of the gospel. When I realize I'm not that great, I need a father who loves me in Christ, as opposed to whatever my true identity on the inside, I just got to figure it out, and then everything will be fine. So, I'm just trying to connect it to our current culture. Whew. We are not fundamentally good. We're actually fundamentally broken and sinful. And the Father has loved us and said, Why don't you come here to me? Because Jesus, my Son, God in flesh, has come to die in your place for your sin to restore you back to me. That's why there's hope. That's why there's truth in this gospel. Okay, we gotta keep moving. Verse six, what does the gospel do? (laughs) It bears fruit. It increases. He says, which has come to you and in the whole world it is bearing fruit and is growing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. This gospel is growing. It's bearing fruit. Very practically, the way that works is when I start to understand that the gospel is not just good for me to get saved, right? Like that when, like when I was six, accepted Jesus in my life. I believed the gospel. I was born again. The Spirit of God came and dwelt within me. I was born again. And the gospel is what did that. I understood this gospel, the Holy Spirit through the understanding of the gospel. But here's the deal. I don't just take the gospel and like, yep, that was great when I was six. Actually, the gospel is what Jamie needs tomorrow morning (laughs) to bear more fruit, to grow, to increase. It's this understanding of tomorrow morning when I get into staff meeting, I need to trust that I'm not having to prove myself to anyone in staff meeting. I can trust that I'm approved by the Father in Christ. Or... If I'm afraid or nervous about something, I don't have to control the situations around me because there is one who is gloriously in control and he has died for me on the cross. Or I don't have to be satisfied by anything else. I don't have to look for other idols and other gods in my life to satisfy me because he is the all satisfying one. This is how we apply the gospel into our everyday life, so that it bears fruit. We can talk about that a little bit more later on. I just want to press one one idea and then we're gonna be finished. If the gospel produces, bears fruit, and some of that fruit is at least faith, love, and hope, then it begs the question, if I'm walking in fear, discouragement, and bitterness, let's say, that means I'm believing a false teaching, not the gospel. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? If the gospel produces fruit, which of these is listed, faith, love, and hope, but I'm walking in fear, bitterness, accusation. That means I'm believing something that's not true. Is that fair? So it becomes a diagnostic for me. And I know this. Like, when I get, when I get angry, I'm, I have to just stop and go, what, what, is, what am I believing that's not true? So just watch, watch what's happening inside. Finally, verse 6, verse six to 8. Just as you learned it, that is the gospel, from Epaphras. This is verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras taught the gospel. They heard it and they understood it. He taught the gospel to to the Colossians. It makes me wonder when I was preparing for this message, I didn't, I forgot, a like I remembered his name, but I I didn't know anything about him. I don't know if that's, maybe some of you guys, some of the scholars in the room, like you knew Epaphras already. I literally forgot the dude's name. So when I looked through the text, I was like, oh, Epaphras. And I was like going through my Rolodex, I was like, I don't remember a lick about that dude. And you know why? Because he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible other than this book. It just tells me something funny. You know, there's no names on earth. That are famous in heaven This man planted the church at Colossae (laughs) And I I couldn't even remember his name Four days ago Like I didn't even know who he was And he planted the church at Colossae (laughs) There are going to be so many no names We get to see Jesus And Jesus will be all we need right But then we're going to see some Epaphras? I didn't realize you were that short Or whatever You you know Or tall I don't know there's some no-names that are famous in heaven for what they've done. And I just want to say, if you've been, like, in Sunday school or in a small group or in discipleship for longer than about two years, you have more training than Epaphras. Th- th- we should all be planting churches, is what I'm, is what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and, and to the degree that you go, oh, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't plant it. We got a no-name Epaphras. He just got trained by Paul. He just planted this church, the church at Colossae. I just want to encourage you. God wants to do some things through you that you have no imagination to catch in many ways. What if he wanted you to plant a church on your street? What if the church at White Pine Court, right, is going to be planted, or whatever your street name is, it's going to be planted there because you're there. But I'm just a no-name, exactly. But I don't have any, I didn't go to seminary, neither did Epaphras. But I don't know the Bible really well. Epaphras didn't even have the New Testament. But he planted a church. Are y'all hearing me this morning? <laughs> All right, let's talk together. Let's do a little group discussion. A couple questions. What's the Father saying to you? And then how can you apply what He is saying to your life? I'm going to give two minutes. I know it's not much time, uh, but let's take two minutes, just discuss, and then we're going to share around. Two minutes. All right, I know that's not much time. That's two minutes. Who's willing to share? And if you're online, put it in the chat, and uh, I'll share that uh, in, in the full group. But Terry's got a, a microphone. Who wants to share? What's the Father saying to you? What are you hearing as we walk through these eight verses? Got Royce over here. Yeah, I just love that picture of the counterfeit, you know, and looking at mm. the real deal. And the one thing I was thinking was, the more I look at Jesus, the less I want to look away. Right. You know? Right. And I want that. Yeah, that's good, Royce. Yep. David McMillan online says, Good trees bear good fruit. That's good. Thanks, David. Anybody else? Got Rob over here. Said um, how
1: Paul opens up with giving thanks for um, the, the church there. And uh, just this morning, our, our son was in for a very short time, and I and i you know i, I worry about what he's going to be doing and, and, and things and i just worry so much and he's got a f- an amazing heart for christ and and I, I open with worry as opposed to with praise so uh that was a good takeaway for me especially yeah. in a context of yeah. of how his things are going on right now and he's, he's doing well but it's just a it's a crazy time so yeah and and
0: yep yep, yep. No, that's good rob uh, I, I cut MacMillan off short. Dave McMillan said, good trees bear good fruit. If I'm not bearing good fruit, I'm not walking with Jesus. And he said, I need to watch carefully what fruit I'm showing my wife, kids, and neighbors. It's good, Dave. Very good. Yeah, Steve? Jamie, I think uh, the word that when I have fear, disappointment, discouragement, I'm following a false gospel. Right. Really, really was good. So my application this week is be sensitive to that and confess that when it happens. Yeah, yeah, that's good, Steve. Real good. Anybody else? Yeah.
1: And, and right. that's, that's not my job. Right. My job is to try and present the gospel of grace and allow the gospel to change people.
0: Right, right, right. right. That's good, Mike. Well done, Terry. Cardio, I like it
1: oh i don't want to do this part but then i end up (laughs) having something i wanted to um expound on the same thing about the giving thanks and remembering to do that first when it's someone that i'm not happy with yes and that is something where i fall short i need to remember yeah to not think about someone with all right god you get them you know exact same i need to be thankful and and uh, pray for blessings first.
0: That's good. That's good. I want to invite the band up because we are, we are running out of time here, but I'm going to invite Raz and the, and the band back up. I put a couple of applications up here, um, but we're, we're about to transition to sing a final song, and I, the Lord's Supper is available. And I just wanted to say, you know, we've been picking up on this idea of thanks. You know, the, the, the Greek word for, well, when the church was developing this concept of the Lord's Supper over into the medieval church they started using the term the Eucharist that, that this is the Eucharist and that comes from the Greek word for giving thanks so the Bible says that Jesus took the bread he gave thanks for it Eucharisto he broke it and he gave it so even the church's conception of the table is that this is a thanksgiving table that the actual concept of the Lord's Supper, of eating the bread and drinking the, the cup, is an expression of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done in our place. So I just want to encourage you, since thanksgiving is kind of a theme that's kind of pop, propped up here, um, when you come, as, as we're singing, as you, when you come to the table, give thanks. Give thanks for Jesus, for what he has done, And ask him to seal these truths in your heart as you eat the bread and as you drink the cup. I put a couple of applications, a couple that have been going through my mind, is to read Colossians daily. I mean, if it's good enough for the lukewarm Laodiceans and for the faithful, healthy Colossians to read these words, I'm committing to reading the book of Colossians over and over and over every day this week. Entering into prayer time with thanksgiving, enter the Enter his courts with praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, the psalmist says. To remind ourselves of gospel truth. I've got 12 scriptures that I've memorized, just gospel passages that I memorize and think over throughout the day. So if you're interested in that, just email me, jamie at MarimontChurch.org. I'm happy to send that to you. And then what does it mean to be a faithful no-name in the kingdom? What is the Father doing or wanting to do through you this week? What does he want to do through you this week? So, we're going to open up into a time of worship, of coming to the table. Let's stand as I pray for us. Abba, we honor you. You are the God who has not left us in our sin, even when we were enemies of yours. You loved us so much you sent your one and only son Jesus that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus we honor you we thank you for your obedience to the point of death even death on a cross for us. And Holy Spirit I thank you for the way you are speaking to your church I ask that you will continue to speak in these moments as we worship and as we take the bread and the cup. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
1: As the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the Prince of life, our ransom, shed for us His precious blood, who His love will not remember, who can cease to sing His praise, i flood, gates of God's mercy, float of vast and gracious tide. grace and love like mighty rivers, incessant so from above, heaven's peace and perfect justice, kiss the forgotten throughout his eternal no love is sweeter no love is higher no love is wider no love is deeper no love is truer no love is higher no love is wider no love is deeper no love is sweeter no love is higher no love is wider no love is deeper no love is No love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper, no love is sweeter than the love of my Father. flood, gates of God's mercy, float a vast and gracious tide, grace and love like mighty rivers poured in from above, heaven's peace and perfect justice, kiss the gift Cease to sing his praise, and he will never be forgotten throughout his eternal days. You will never be forgotten.
0: I thank you for the sweet spirit uh, here in this place this morning. I thank you for the fruit of hope. In a culture dominated by angst, frustration, and anger, Father, I thank you for this, your presence of peace and hope. Father, we thank you that you delight in your people. And I ask, Holy Spirit, I I ask that you will bless my brothers and sisters this week. That you would bless them with fresh wisdom and revelation of the good news of Jesus the King. I bless you this week when the fruit of anxiousness and accusation, when that begins to bubble up, I bless you with good news, thinking and living. I bless you with hope. I bless you with faith. I bless you with love, the very love of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Church family, you are loved. Be at peace. You are dismissed. Be at peace.